As the children of Israel left the life of slavery they had known for four centuries, God led them into the wilderness under the leadership of Moses. Here in the wilderness, the work of stripping away their identity as slaves began. A new culture was being fashioned, one that would reshape their identity and teach them in literal and symbolic ways that God was their only hope and their only source for life. The focal point for their physical camp, as well as the center of their worship, would be known as the tabernacle, or tent of meeting. Moses was summoned upon Mount Sinai, where God would speak to him for 40 days and nights, outlining the culture, giving the fundamental Ten Commandments, and explaining the ethics of this emerging culture he was creating in his chosen people. Upon Mount Sinai, God gave the blueprint for a portable dwelling place where his divine presence would be among the people as he led them forward toward the Promised Land, their permanent home. There would be an outer courtyard around the Tent of Meeting, and inside the tabernacle, there would be an outer chamber known as the Holy Place, and an inner chamber known as the Most Holy Place, or Holy of Holies. Here in the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant would dwell, and the very presence of God would descend and be among the people. The tabernacle would occupy the center of the multitude, a million or more strong, surrounded by the Levites, who were set aside to care for it and lead the people in the worship of Yahweh. The tabernacle accompanied the children of Israel through all their wanderings in the wilderness as an ever-present reminder of who they were and who they were becoming. It crossed the Jordan River with them into the Promised Land and eventually found a more permanent home in Shiloh where the heart of the Israelite worship situated itself for the first three and a half centuries in their new homeland. The tabernacle was the religious heart of the people all the way through the time of the judges. As the time of the kings emerged, the Ark of the Covenant was lost in battle by King Saul, later to be regained but never again to be at Shiloh. Later, King David would bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and his son Solomon would build the first permanent replacement for the tabernacle, the Temple of God. The temple of God. The house of God. God's favorite house is the house where he is welcome. The house where we have prepared to invite him in. We're doing this series called God's Favorite House. And let me just tell you right now, God is in the house this morning. Amen? Come on, church. Can we just give him a praise and thank him for his presence today? 
Come on, you can do better than that. He deserves our praise. Give him what he deserves today. Amen. So we've been talking about this, this whole process of, of God instructing uh, Moses and then uh, David and then Solomon about constructing a place where his, his, dwell, his uh, uh, presence can dwell. And we go to Acts chapter 15, verse 16, for our key verse of this series. And it says, after this, I will return, this is the Lord talking, and I will build again the tabernacle of David. Now we just saw a beautiful depiction of the tabernacle of Moses and the tabernacle of, uh, uh, the tabernacle of Solomon. And we, we know that those were wonderful, beautiful, places. Uh, even though Moses's tabernacle was a tent, it, they spent so much time and energy and money and resources to make sure it was a beautiful place of, uh, of not just a tent, but of gold and bronze and silver. And, and uh, it was a place that was worthy of worship. And then we go on to see the awesome temple that Solomon built. In fact, we learned last week that all through David's uh, kingship, he was collecting things. God had told him, you will not be the one to build, but one that follows you, your son, will build the temple. But David was already collecting all kinds of things to, to build that temple of God. And when Solomon built it, it was something like no other, a beautiful edifice. But then we read this scripture. This is actually a quote out of the book of Amos where God says, when I come back, I'm going to build again the tabernacle of David. And perhaps we say, well, why is it that God's going to rebuild the tabernacle of David? Wouldn't he, wouldn't he want to go back to the, 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 the deliverance of, of the people out of Egypt and, and how, how the, that first place, you know, a lot of times our most favorite memories is the first house we ever lived in. And wouldn't God go back and say, I'm going to rebuild the temple of Moses? Moses, and, or wouldn't he say, you know, I'm going to rebuild the, the temple of, uh, of Solomon as awesome as it was and as beautiful it was. It wasn't just a tent. It was a structure that took so much resources and so much time and so much effort to build. But no, he said, I'm going to come back and rebuild again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I believe the reason that he chose the house of David is because it was his favorite house, because in that place, there was no veil between man and the ark. In that place, it was a place of worship. In that place, they spent 36 years, 24-7, worshiping God and being in the presence of God. And God says, it is my heart, it is my desire to restore the heart of worship in my people. It is my desire to restore the heart of worship in my church. In fact, he goes on and says, I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up that the rest of mankind, everyone say, the rest the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, that's us, says the Lord, who does these things. In other words, he says, it's no longer for the chosen people, it's for all the people. It's no longer just for the priests to go into the holy place, it's for all of the people to go into the holy place. It's not just for the high priest to go into the holy of holies, it is for all people to go into the holy of holies, because the Bible declares that every person that comes into the name of Jesus and ask him to come into their life and is transformed by his forgiveness of sins. They are the temple of God. Come on, tell somebody you are the temple of God. The Bible says you are the temple now. In fact, he also says you are the priest. You are the one who can worship no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, you have direct access to the throne of grace. Amen. Amen. And this morning I want to talk to you about the cost that's involved in that. 
because I think sometimes we're very tempted to skip the cost and just try to get in the presence of God. But there is a cost if we truly want to enter into the fullness of God. In fact, Jesus said in John 10, 10, this is not in your notes, but he said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. God wants you not only to have life, but have the fullness of life. Do you understand what I'm saying? He wants you to have freedom in life. He wants you to have happiness in life. He wants you to have joy in life. How many of you just have some little joy this morning? Come on, raise your hand. How many of you tell the person beside you they need a little bit of joy? Come on. <laughs> we need some joy in our life. You know, God doesn't want us walking around as Christians going, oh boy, I just hope I make it to tomorrow. Lord, just help me make it to tomorrow. Come on. Nobody's going to want to be a Christian if that's how we look. Amen? I remember growing up and we would have the Wednesday night testimony services. Anybody remember those times? And, and you know what? I think the reason we quit is because they just got depressing. Because people would stand up and say, oh, I've had a terrible week and I've had this happen and this has happened. Just pray that I make it. And they'd sit down and we all go, oh dear Lord, that was depressing, right? I can never, I never forget as just a kid, I would, they'd stand up and they'd give that kind of testimony and they'd be so miserable. And I go, my goodness, you know, my grandma, she was a preacher for goodness sakes. And she would say, just pray that I make it. And I think if she's not going to make it, none of us are going to make it. Amen. But God wants us to be happy. He wants us to live to the full. He wants us to have the fullness of Christ. And through salvation, the Holy Spirit enters in and he dwells within us. Absolutely. Our sins are forgiven and we have life indeed. But Jesus said, that's not the end of it. I don't want you to just have life. I want you to have a full life, a free life, a life full of joy and purpose. And that's what this is all about. That's what this series is all about. And my prayer is that by the end of this series, we'll have a house full of people that are full of life. Amen. So I want to talk to you this morning about the cost of intimacy because it doesn't come free. In fact, it all began with Jesus giving his life on the cross. The greatest cost of all is someone that would give their life for us. As I mentioned last week, this series came out of a book that I picked up uh, seemingly randomly, I don't believe it was at all, a book I had never heard of. I had heard of the author and I'd read some of his work and loved some of his work, never heard of this book, but I saw the author and said I had to read it. It was called God's Favorite House. His name is Tommy Tenney, and he tells a story about a man that was extremely overweight. He had a genetic problem that caused his problems with weight, and the young man was so heavy, it inhabited him socially. And in fact, they, they said when he was 12 years old, he already weighed 300 pounds, and there was nothing they could do. They couldn't figure out any way to, to help him get the weight off, and, and it was just a real struggle for him. He was a, he was a great man of God. He, he, he loved God. He preached the word but he just struggled in this area and, and he found it being very painful in his life. In fact, he looked at Tommy one day and said, Tommy, I know that people laugh at me. He said, I have very close friends who would love for me to come and visit them. We regularly spend time together in restaurants, but I would love to just sit down in the intimacy of their homes and fellowship with them, yet I can't. He said, when I drop by their homes, I will stand at the foyer with my hat and my coat. And the whole time, I never take my eyes off of the room. I scan the room looking for a place where I can sit, a place that will hold my weight. And I have made my mind up. I have broken my last chair, he said. I refuse to sit in a seat that looks as if it will not bear my weight. 
I will not be embarrassed anymore. I just won't visit if I have to do that. So I scan the room from the doorway and see if there's any place, if there's anyone, any place where I can sit. You see, I've visited many of these places before unsuccessfully. But I'm looking to see at this point if they've added some furniture that might hold me up. Are you listening? I knew there was nothing there on my previous visit, but I want to spend time with them. I want their company. With a sigh, he said, these visits often end sadly. I have to make up an excuse and say, I need to get going. I usually go out to my car and I just weep. I want so bad to be with my friends and with my loved ones. When I hear that story, I think perhaps that may be the feeling that God has in the weightiness of his glory as he scans the room and he's wondering and he's looking and he's seeing, is there a vessel? Is there a place where I can sit and dwell and commune? But perhaps we as Christians are so excited and interested in getting to church so that we can get away and we can get good on with our life. Perhaps we, we, we're okay with the, with the tingling and the, and the feeling that we might get when Jesus enters into the lobby. But perhaps that little tingling goes away quickly and we say, I've got to go. I've got to get to lunch. I've got things to do. And we move on. And Jesus says, wait a minute. Can we just spend some time together? Can I find a place where I can dwell? Can I find a place where I can enjoy some intimacy? Can I find a place where I can enjoy some fellowship? Because I want you to know something. God wants to visit us and he wants to settle in. But here's the problem. Many of us have not built anything which will hold the weightiness of his glory. I want you to know that this is where we're headed. I want you to know that this is why this whole series is here. Because I believe that God wants to help us build a place where God can dwell. Where the weightiness of his glory can come in. We'll never be able to contain it all. We'll never be able to hold it all. But when he comes in, it will bring us to a place we never dreamed possible. It will bring us to a place where we say, glory, glory, glory. Holy, holy, holy. No longer are we wondering if somebody's looking at us. When we raise our hand, no wonder are we worried if we sing a note and then we sing it wrong. No longer are we worried about what other wolves will think if I say amen. No, I'm just going to say glory, hallelujah. I can't contain myself because the glory of God has come in. So what I believe that God is calling us to do, I believe he's calling us to build a mercy seat through worship. You say, well, what is a mercy seat? Well, as you walk through the, the tabernacle a little bit ago in that video, you see in the final room was the Holy of Holies and there was the Ark of the Covenant and there was the mercy seat of the cherubim who were over the top of that. And the biblical mercy seat was that place of intersection between the holy, transcendent, eternal God and sinful man. And in those days, after the sacrifice was made in the outer parts, he would take the blood and he would walk up to the Ark and walk up to the mercy 
mercy seat and he would sprinkle the blood all over there. And in that time, in that place, we would receive the atonement for our sins. In that time, we could kneel before the presence of God and we could worship with him. He would bring us to the mercy seat but now we don't need a priest to bring us to the mercy seat we don't need a priest to bring us to the place where god dwells every one of us have access to the place where god dwells so we have to ask ourselves do we really want the presence of god in our lives are we willing to pay the cost that it takes to have intimate close relationship with him You know, as I was preparing this week for this sermon, something hit me. I felt like the Lord whispered in my ear and said, Phil, here's the problem. A lot of people want to pass all of the cost and just run into the presence and wonder why nothing happens. That's why we can walk into a room where the Holy Spirit is evident. People are raising their hands. People are praising God. People are shouting amen. And we're dead inside. We're going, what is that about? I don't understand what's going on. Why are they doing that? What is that all about? It's embarrassing. Aren't they embarrassed about that? Well, something you need to understand about David's temple and tabernacle, it was built through a path of blood and sacrifice. You see, the first time that he tried to move the ark into Jerusalem, they did it wrong. They put it on a cart. They thought they would just have the oxen do the work, you know, and they would just walk along and get this thing to Jerusalem. Well, that wasn't God's plan. They weren't paying the cost. They needed to put in the blood, sweat, and tears it took to get the ark where it needed. The priest needed to carry that ark. Well, you, if you've read the story, you know what happens. The, the, the cart started to, to move aside, and it looked like the ark of the covenant was going to fall off, and the man reached out and touched it, and it killed him right there. And they go, whoa, well, there's none of us going to touch that thing. So here they were stuck in Obed-Edom. They hadn't made it to Jerusalem yet, so they just left it there and went back to Jerusalem trying to figure out what to do next. And then the stories begin to come how Obed-Edom was being blessed because the Ark of the Covenant was there. You know, when God shows up, people are blessed. Amen. And I mean, their corn fields were growing more corn and, and their bean fields were growing more beans and, and their daughters were getting better looking. You know, I don't know if that's true, but it might have been. <laughs> and David said, we got to get back there. We've got to get that Ark But he didn't do it the same way. He said, no, no, we're not going to put it on a cart this time. We're going to carry it the proper way. And so not only did they carry it the proper way in the way that was instructed as they used the handles and not touch the ark, but the men of God would carry it every six paces. Every six paces they would stop and have a sacrifice as praise and worship to the Lord to say, Lord, we are willing to pay the cost for your presence. And do you know what it is that they sacrifice? They would sacrifice an ox. That which they intended to carry the ark before, they said, we're going to sacrifice. And every six paces they stopped. It wasn't a long way to Jerusalem, but it sure seemed like it because they took the time to pay the cost for intimacy. And by the time they got to Jerusalem, David was dancing with joy. He was praising God with all of his mind. He was dancing and shouting, come on, somebody in here needs to get excited about Jesus Christ this morning. And some of you are looking at Pastor Phil and said, I didn't know this was that kind of church. I thought we were just going to hear a message and I could go home. He's making a fool of himself. Yes, I am making a fool of myself. And I'm proud of it because it's for Jesus Christ this morning. And it's interesting. Listen, it's interesting to learn that his wife was looking down from a window and started to look, what is he up to? What are you doing, David? That's just, oh, that's just embarrassing. You need to stop that. 
And you know, we don't have any record of her having any more child. In fact, we see that from that point on, it seems that she was barren. It seems like God said, okay, if you don't want the presence of God, you're not going to have the blessing of God. But not David. He decided, you know what? I'm not going to stop it. I'm going to do more. And he set up a 24-7 worship service at the temple of God. For 36 years, they worshiped God and praised him in the presence of the holy place. Wow. And he found himself worshiping him unabandonedly, unashamedly, not caring what anyone thinks. I just want to say something to you. Be careful if you scorn someone. You may not be a hand raiser. That's okay. But someone may be. Don't scorn them. You do not know, you do not know the path of sacrifice and the path of blood that brought them to the place this morning where they say, hallelujah, God brought me out and he has made me a new creature. How can I but praise him? And when we get to that point, when we're willing to pay the cost, you may make a fool of yourself just like Pastor Phil makes a fool of himself. Amen? (laughs) Well, maybe not that bad, but it's okay. So I want to talk to you this morning about the journey into intimacy with God. You see, there's a cost for intimacy with God. There's a cost to being the mercy seat. But Jesus wants to help us build that mercy seat that will usher in the glory. The, the, the Hebrew word there is kabod. God wants us to experience the kabod. And I have a feeling Perhaps if the kabod showed up this morning, we wouldn't know what to do. But dear God, come anyway. Amen. Send us revival. I believe God is asking every one of us to build a place where the glory of God, where the kabod can show up and dwell. And we forget about everything else. We forget about dinner plans. We forget about tomorrow's plans. We forget about everything. We forget about letting the dog out. We just say, I'm just going to stay here because God is here and I don't want to go anywhere. Amen. You say, well, that, does that have to be on Sunday morning? No, it can, be ha- it can be wherever you are. In fact, some of the most incredible moments of experiencing God's glory when I was all alone, just worshiping God and praising his name. So let's talk about the journey to intimacy. And for a moment, I just want to look at the furniture, not just the mercy seat. That's where we're headed. But like I said, a lot of us, we want to skip the furniture. We want to skip the process. We want to get past all of that. No, no, just, just let me get in the presence of God. Let him fix my problems and let me go home. And God said, I'm not just here to be your spiritual Santa Claus. I'm not here to just be your spiritual vending machine. You don't just put a quarter in and an answer to prayer comes out. No, no, I am here to spend time with you. I want to... I want to love you and dwell with you. So here we go. Are you ready? The first piece of furniture that you came across, as we saw earlier in that video, is the brazen altar. It's the altar in the outside of the court, the altar. And I want you to write this word down, the word salvation. It represented our salvation. The brazen altar was the altar of sacrifice. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If, this is one of those if-then statements in the Bible, if you will confess your sins, if you will believe in me, if you will call me by name, if you will make me number one in your life, I will come in, I will forgive your sins, I will purify you of all unrighteousness. 
You see, last week I said that God was more interested in pursuing you than you are in pursuing him. And that's absolutely true. The reason that he sent his son Jesus is to pursue you. He wants you. God wants you. Come on, tell somebody, God wants you this morning. And there's a story, I believe, that illustrates this in Luke chapter 15, verse 8 through 10. Jesus is telling how important you are to him. And he does it through a parable. Many times God would share a parable. It was a, a kind of an illustration of sorts that would, that would relate to something that they understood. In this story, they understood it very well. Listen to what he said. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins, loses one coin, does not light a lamp? Now let me give you a little background. In those days, a married woman would wear a garland of ten coins. It was called a drachma around her neck. It was like a wedding band or a wedding ring. So just imagine with me, if you're married here this morning and you wear a wedding band, perhaps you lose it sometime. You're going you're gonna to look until you find it, right? You're going to do everything you can to find that or something of value. Anytime we lose something or value, we're going to go look for it. Well, look what she did. How many of us does not, it says, light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner. Everyone say one sinner over one sinner that repents. Can I tell you a secret? You can make heaven celebrate today. You absolutely can start a party in heaven just by giving your heart to Jesus Christ. That's all it takes. In fact, it will be a party like no other. The Bible says that all, everything stops and the angel says, hey, someone has come home. Let's have a party this morning. If you read further in Luke chapter 15, you see the story of the lost sheep. Where Jesus says, how many of you, if you have a hundred sheep and one of them goes missing, you will not leave the 99 and you will go find the one. Jesus says, I'm going to do whatever I can to find you. I am pursuing you. I want you. You know, it's interesting that sometimes in the church we get more about us than we do about finding the one. We come in and we worry about the temperature and we worry about the volume. We worry about the songs. We worry about the lighting. We worry about the comfort. We worry about the person behind us. What in the world are they doing back there? Why didn't they mute their phone? Why do they keep fidgeting? What are they doing with that paper? Oh, I can't think about it. And all we do is we think about all of this other stuff and we forget. We're not here for me. We're here because someone may walk into that door that needs Jesus. You might have walked in this morning and you've never heard of Jesus before. You might be watching on light right now and you've never heard of Jesus before. And I want you to know that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, his name was Jesus, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That is why Capital City Church is here, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, and we better be doing everything we can to make that happen. Amen. You say, but what about me, Pastor? What about me? I've done some bad stuff. I've said some bad things. I've heard a lot of people. The list goes on and on. The Bible didn't say those who are good. The Bible doesn't say those who qualify. The Bible says whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So I want you to do something for me. I just want everybody in this room to just bow your heads. If there's anyone here in this room, or if there's anyone watching online, 
that has never asked Jesus to be your Lord, to be your Savior, to come into your life, I'm not going to go any further in this sermon until you, I give you an opportunity to do that. You say, how do I do that? It's very simple. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The best way you know how, say, Jesus, I believe. Admit that you have a need. Admit that you've messed up. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That includes me and every person in this room, every person watching online. You're not alone. Everyone, every one of us in the same boat, we had to come to Jesus. And now is your moment. You say, well, what do I do? Well, we just read, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive those sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So what's a sin, pastor? Anything that falls short of God, anything that, anything that comes short of the will of God in your life, what are you doing? What are you doing in your life that you know is not pleasing to God? Just give it to him. Just give it to him. As your heads are bowed, I'm just going to pray right now for all of those in this room, all of those watching online. I just want you to pray this prayer. Lord, the best way I know how, I'm coming to you with my life. I ask you to forgive me. And you promise in your word that you would. And I'm claiming that promise right now. I admit I'm a sinner. And I admit that I need you. And I receive you right now as my Savior, as my Lord. And the best way I know how, God, I give my life to you, and I ask you to change me from the inside out. Make me a new creature, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to know something. Heaven is celebrating right now. Even if you're sitting in your living room right now watching this, maybe you're not even watching live, maybe you're watching uh, later on in the week, but even, even in this moment, that moment, when you pray that prayer, heaven stops and has a party. So on the count of three, church, we're just going to party with them. Can we do that? On the count of three, can we just give God a praise for what he's doing in our midst and across this world? Can we do that? Ready? On one, two, three. One, two, three. Come on. Give God a praise right now. Come on. Come on. We claim it in Jesus' name. We claim it in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the Old Testament, no one could enter the holy place until they stopped at that altar of sacrifice. You know, that principle still applies today. No one comes to the Father except through me, said Jesus. Then you get to the second piece of furniture, the laver of bronze, which represents our sanctification setting us apart, cleansing us. Write, that, write this down, the place of cleansing. You've heard me say as your pastor that there are far too many miserable Christians walking around this earth. And I'll tell you why. Because after that first piece of furniture, they just kind of stopped and said, okay, I got my ticket to heaven. Maybe I can make it. And I'll tell you, I'll admit, maybe you can. But it's going to be a rough road. Because there's still battles inside of self wanting to be in control. There's still battles inside of things that, you need, that Jesus needs to help you work through. And until we get to this laver of bronze, until we say, Lord, just cleanse me. Just take it all, Lord. Cleansing is a preliminary step, I believe, going into true worship, going into the glory of God. And there can be no true worship experience without being cleansed first. That's why there's a lot of empty worship out there. Have you ever been, have you ever been to a place where there was a lot of singing going on? 
There was a lot of music going on. There was a lot of drums playing. There was a lot of guitars playing. There was a lot of things happening, but there was no worship in there. It was deader than a doornail, huh? And you're like, what is going on here? Because you cannot enter the presence of God if you have not allowed Jesus to purify yourself to be, to be qualified to be in the glory of God. Now, we're all in the presence of God. I know some of you are saying, well, God's everywhere. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. God lives in us. Yes, he is. When God, when we are saved, the Holy Spirit moves into us. But here's the problem. He doesn't have everything. He just has part of us. And so because he only has part of us, there's still that war of self saying, I'm not sure I want to do that. And the Holy Spirit says, yes, you really need to do that. I'm just not really sure I'm ready to do that. And we refuse to get to that laver of bronze, that place of cleansing. But the apostle Paul said in Romans 12, 1, I beg of you, I urge you, I plead with you, brothers and sisters. I want you to notice, he says, brothers and sisters, all of you that just gave your heart to the Lord, you qualify for this right here. You are a brother and a sister in Christ. You are a part of the family of God. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, if you asked Jesus into your life, he is talking to the saved. He's talking to the people that have already given their life to Jesus. And he says, in view of God's mercy, I'm going to ask you to go a step further. I'm going to ask you to offer your bodies a living. There's another indication that he's talking to believers, that we're alive. A living sacrifice, which is holy and pleasing to God. Now watch what it says. This is your true and proper worship. Hallelujah. That's when you're going to really begin to be, understand the true and holy act of worship. When you surrender everything to him. Now let's go back to that story we read about the lost coin. Did you notice that when she started looking for that expensive coin, she did two things. She lit a lamp and she swept the house. And so at the laver of bronze, I believe that this is what Jesus wants to do. Write this down. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus wants to illuminate the darkness and eliminate the dirt. Jesus wants us to allow him to show us the corners and the closets in the back room and the attic. He wants us to give him permission to come in and show everything. And as he shows everything, he's not going to guilt us. He's not going to say, oh, I can't believe you didn't clean that. No, no. He's going to say, hold on just a minute. Let me get that. And he's going to sweep it up and say, it's okay. I've got it. Here's the problem. We think we got to get out the broom and try to clean up that, that bad habit. We think we've got to get up get the room and we've got to change this, this, life, this lifestyle that we have. We think we've got to get out the broom and make all those changes. Then maybe we will qualify to be in the presence of God. No, Jesus wants to come in. He will be through his glory. He will light the lamp. The lamp. He will show all of the nooks and the crannies and the corners and the closets and the attics and the basements. He will show all that. And if there's any dirt, if there's any selfishness, If there's anything in us that David would say, Lord, examine me. See, Lord, if there's any wicked way in me. As he was standing in the presence of the holy God, he would say, God, examine me. Show me any wicked way. And if there is, Lord, forgive it, remove it, and purify me. And as we allow ourselves to do that, we find ourselves closer to the glory of God. Closer to the glory to the beauty of his holiness. As we move on, we see in the holy place, that's that area before you get to the holy of holies, 
where the ark dwells, you see three pieces of furniture. And I believe they represent, write this down, I believe they represent transformation. Because even though we're cleansed, we still have these thoughts and temptations and things that, that want to get us back. Listen, the enemy's not going to stop fighting. He's not going to try to keep pulling you back into that bad habit. He's not going to stop trying to pull you back into that lifestyle that you were in. He's not going to stop until, until, you know, until we get to heaven. He's not going to, in fact, he even tempted Jesus. Come on now, who are we if he was willing to tempt Jesus? He's not going to stop until the end comes. He's going to continue to pull. And so we've got to allow God to transform our mind so that when he comes into us and he begins to tempt us, we say, no, no, I'm past that. That's not me anymore. That's not who I am. And those three pieces of furniture were the table of showbread, the golden lampstand, and the altar of incense. And it comes from the scripture, Romans 12, 2. Listen, we've just read that we present our bodies a living sacrifice. Are you with me, folks? Are you tracking with me? And then the second verse says, and do not be conformed to this world. Do whatever you have to do to not allow the garbage to come in because everybody knows garbage in, garbage out, right? Come on, folks. We're building a mercy seat in his eye. How in the world can we have a mercy seat where God dwells, where his glory is, if we've got junk here where he can't even show up? Amen. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, I believe it takes us being in the very center of God's will in order for us to experience the true kabod, glory and dwelling of God's Holy Spirit. Not that he's not there, but he's, if he's not first, if he's not full, then we've got other junk distracting us. And the minute worship starts happening, we might start entering in. We might start feeling it. We might start saying, oh, this is pretty good. And then something, oh, what was that? What are they doing? Why'd they do that? And all of a sudden, the enemy distracts us, right? So look at this. The table of showbread over here on, the, on my left, the table of showbread represents the word of God. So what am I going to do? I'm going to get into the word of God. I'm going to read God's word and I'm going to let it permeate my soul. I'm going to let it permeate my being. I'm going to let it soak into me. I'm going to let God speak through his word. I'm going to, I'm going to learn it and put it in my heart. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God, says the Bible. And then you have the golden lampstand which represents the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. As the lampstand of the Holy Spirit begins to shine light upon our time of, of, of reading God's word, we begin to see new light. We begin to see new things. We begin to see what God wants us to see because his word is living and breathing and alive today. In fact, I'm going to read the last verse that I read to you this morning is from my personal quiet time. I've read it many times, I, I, I think, because I've read through the Bible many, many times. I'm in the second time this year, so I know I've read it, but it's the first time I really noticed it. And guess what? It goes right with what I'm preaching this morning. That's not an accident, is it? Come on. God said, hey, Phil, I want you to read this as the last verse of your sermon this week. And so we're going to go there. That's where we're headed. And so the Holy Spirit speaks to us. You say, is it going to be audible? Probably not. 
In fact, it never has been for me, but I know when he's speaking. I know when he's leading. I know when he's saying, Phil, this is for you. Phil, this is what I need you to do. And you know what that does? That leads me into the altar of incense, which stands right before the ark, which is worship. Come on, write that down. I begin to worship God. I begin to spend some time in true worship. Thank you, Jesus, for showing me that verse. Thank you, Jesus, for shining your light into my life. Thank you, Jesus, for showing me what you have for me. Thank you, Lord, for giving me my life first when I needed the most. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I was ready to give up on ministry. I was ready to give up on pastoring. I was ready to, I was ready to go just go drive a truck. I was done. It was over. I was just finished. I wasn't finished with God, but I was finished there. And I want to tell you, God was not finished with me. And so there I found myself, as I often do or usually do, early morning. Uh, I'll find a body of water and I'll read God's word. And he brought this verse out to me. I had heard it preached about. I had read it before, but God said, this is your verse. It says uh, in Proverbs 3, uh, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. He said, Phil, I just need you to trust me. I know what I'm doing. It's not an accident that I called you to pastor, and it's not an accident that I called you to this church, so I just need you to trust me. And I just need you to not try to understand and don't lean on your own understanding. Don't try to understand because guess what, Phil? You probably never will. But I've got this. It's okay. But in all your ways, Phil, if your life will point to me and acknowledge me and give me praise, I promise you one thing. And he's never let me down on this promise. And he never will for you either. I will direct your path. I will make your path clear. I will help you understand the next step. If you will just trust me and the Holy Spirit begins to speak that to me and I began to internalize it and I began to worship God and I went back to the office that day and I said I don't know what I'm going to do next but I do know this I'm not quitting God's in control amen you say well come on pastor you're a pastor you're a pastor come on that's expected of you God can do that for every person in this room in fact I've heard many of you testify that God has done that for you one of you just shared with me this morning we've been praying for your son and they just got saved and and they just asked Jesus into their life come on God is in control God answers prayer I got to be really careful not to get too excited this morning because when I start preaching we're all in trouble amen Transformation, transformation. We have to allow God to transform our mind when it comes to worship. We have to allow God to transform our mind when it comes to our job, when it comes to to our family. We have to allow God to transform our mind when it comes to our attitude. And too many times we see worship service as a place where they'd better find a good time and it better meet my needs. And the problem is, particularly, I believe, in the American culture, we as a church and we as believers and we as Christians, we've been more about the pursuit of happiness than we have been about the pursuit of God's holiness. And I think we've been so worried about whether it meets our needs that we totally forget the story of the 99 and the one. We totally forget that Jesus, listen, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I don't want to, I don't want to make you feel bad. I really don't. But if you're a believer, if you already have Jesus in your life, God is not distracted by you. He's distracted by the one that is not that seat, not in that seat yet. He's distracted by the ones that have not walked through those doors yet. He is distracted by the one who needs Jesus. Our dogs have gotten lost several times. 
And I want to tell you something. When a dog gets lost in the Spriggs home, it is not a happy time. We need to find those dogs, and we need to find them now. My wife starts to fall apart. The kids start to fall apart. And I start to fall apart because they're all falling apart. Amen? I love my dogs, and I love my family. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go look for my dogs. And part of it is it makes sense because the first dog that we lost, Crystal, we were visiting my parents, and Crystal let Josie out into the front yard to do her business, and she was our best dog ever. She always just came right back. She went back out to get her, and she was gone and never came back. We don't ever know what happened to her. She, just, she was a little older, and we, she just went somewhere, and she must, have, she must have died. And so how many of you know the next time we lost a dog, Spriggs family was looking for that dog, amen? One time we were in South Florida, and one of our dogs got away, and we thought we weren't going to find her. We looked and looked and looked into the night, into the dark of night, and we were doing everything we could. We were driving up and down the streets, and, you know, we were the only thing we could think of. And you know what? If one of my kids would have come up and said, hey, Dad, what are we having for breakfast in the morning? Hey, now, what are you even talking about? We got to go find Izzy, right? Huh? Right? But how many, of, how, many of us, how many of us were coming to the Lord with these things? And Jesus is saying, listen, I've got lost children. I've got lost people. That's what we need to be thinking about. And it's not that breakfast isn't important, but we've got to find this dog first. The good news to the end of that story is Daniel said, you know what, I'm not giving up. He went and just disappeared, and we just started to pray. And a little bit later, he walked in and had Izzy in his hand, and we found Izzy. Said, so where was she? Well, she was in the woods with a family of raccoons. I think she'd already found another family. She'd given up on us. You know, the Spriggs family, we were worried about Izzy. She didn't care about She already found another family. I don't know what you're doing, but I found a family. I found some raccoons. They're pretty cool. You should see what they eat. Not that old, ugly, dry food. Amen? <laughs> but I'm afraid many times the reason we don't experience the kabod of God is because we're more worried about whether my needs are being met. Do we walk into this room saying, how can I bless God? Or do we walk into this room and say, how are you going to bless me? How is this going to make me feel better? I want to tell you a secret. I want you to get this very closely. There has not been one time. Everyone say one time. This isn't written in my notes. God just gave this to me, but it's true. I'm going to give it to you. There has not been one time, not one time, that I have spent time in the presence and in the glory of God that I have not walked away feeling fulfilled, feeling full of joy, feeling full of glory. Did my problems go away? Nope. But it didn't matter because I experienced the holiness of God. If you will pursue, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness then all these other things will be added unto you. But what we do is we bring the things. Lord, would you take care of these things? Lord, would you make me happy? Would you make this work for me? God said, would you just seek me? Would you just seek me? And watch these other things fall into place. I've gone longer than I expected to, but I want to share this scripture with you. It's in your notes. It's a story in Matthew chapter 21, verse 12 through 16. Remember, we learn from the word of God that we are the temple 
of the Holy Spirit. We are the tabernacle. We are holy priests. Well, I want you to look what happens when Jesus comes into the temple. It's a story of Jesus entering the temple. And it says there in verse 12, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves and said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You can also say, my house shall be called a house of worship because prayer and worship go hand in hand. My house will be a house where God dwells. My house will be a house where I can come in and I can dwell and I can sit and I can commune. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw these wonderful things he had done and the children who were shouting to the temple, Hosanna, son of David, they came indignant and said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said, yes, you have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise for yourself. What happened? Jesus entered in. Jesus came in and it messed up everything that they saw as worship. Everything that they saw as following God. Everything that they thought was religion. Jesus came in and turned it upside down. And when we allow Jesus to enter the temple, there's two things he's going to do. The first thing he's going to do is he's going to knock over the tables. When we allow God to transform our mind, he's going to knock over the things that we're counting on. We live in a day where we know we can count on nothing but God. We can't count on a bank account. We can't count on a job. We can't count on politics. We can't count on men and women. We can't count on anything. The only person that we can count on is God. And the problem is we get all caught up in all that other stuff, in all the politics, in all the, all the issues of life, and all those things, and we forget to seek him first. And Jesus said, the only way you're ever going to be transformed is if I knock the things out from under you that you're counting on, and I knock over the chair which are the things that we're comfortable with. Because we have a tendency to get comfortable with life. We have a tendency to count on things today that are not Jesus. And I want to tell you something. If you're counting on anything or anyone besides Jesus, you're setting yourself up for a fall. We see the fourth and the, the, the last uh, two pieces of furniture in the fourth point, write this down. I believe this is when we truly begin to experience intimacy and affection. In this place, we find the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. Now, this is just a replica that Mark built for us, and he did a fantastic job. But really, no longer do we need a piece of furniture. All of this can be done as we walk and talk with Jesus every day. But let me tell you what I believe this, per, this piece of furniture, it's actually one piece of furniture, two parts. The Ark of the Covenant, write this down, was of testimony of past blessings. It contained two tablets, the two tablets with the Ten commands, Commandments in it, which is the standard of righteousness. It, it contained the golden pot of manna, which represented God's provision 
to sustain his people in life, no matter what they go through. It contained Aaron's rod, which was budded with life and, and represents the fullness of life. And so that Ark of the Covenant is a testimony. In the Old Testament, anytime God did anything great, they would build an altar of testimony. In fact, when Joshua led uh, the Israelites across the, the Jordan, when they got on the other side, they built an altar. And the reason they would do things like that is because it would remind them anytime that anything got bad on past that point, they could take their kids and they could take their family and they would stand around that altar and they'd say, let me tell you something, God blessed us. God helped us cross the Jordan River. God helped us bring us into the promised land. And I know that if he did it once, he can do it again. And we're gonna believe that he's gonna do great things. And listen, if God can do it once, he can do it again. God is a great big God. He never runs out of glory. Amen. Amen. And on the top of that was the lid, which we, we re, uh, see as the mercy seat. And that, write this down, I believe, represents that intimacy with God. So you see the path that it takes, the cost of intimacy. I would never, ever, 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 ever trade the moments of true worship and intimacy that I've experienced in the presence of God's glory ever. And I long and hunger and thirst for more and more of that. But what I've learned in this journey, that if I'm not prepared, it won't come. But I've also learned this, if I build it, he will come. If I pay the cost, if I prepare the place, why would God's glory ever want to show up where there's no place to hold the weight of his glory? Let me give you the verse that I read this week that God said, write it down. It's in Numbers, which is perhaps why it never really jumped out at me because numbers can get kind of numbery, <laughs> right? <laughs> Right And Chronicles can kind of get chronically sometimes. But when I read this this week, listen to this, talking about Moses. Now when Moses went into the tabernacle of meeting to speak with him, I heard the voice of one speaking to him. How many of you just crave this morning to hear the voice of God? Not the voice of Pastor Phil. No, no, no. Don't ever come to church to hear the voice of Pastor Phil. You will be disappointed. But I promise you this. When you hear the voice of God, you will never be disappointed. So when Moses went into the tabernacle of meeting to speak with him, he heard the voice of the one speaking to him. Watch this. From above the what? The mercy seat that was on the ark of testimony. From between the two cherubim, watch this, thus he spoke to him. Thus he spoke to him. In this moment, we find intimacy. We find intimacy. You see, true worship is not just something that happens. It is something we prepare for. And then we participate in it. God, oh, I say this with fear and trembling. And I'm going to press, preface it with this. I love you. I'm your pastor. 
And I'm head over heels in love with every one of you. But I feel like I must say this. God is not impressed with spectators. God craves worshipers. Worshipers. True. Holy. Worshipers. I really didn't know how I was going to end my sermon time this morning. I think we're going to go back to our original plan. And I want the whole praise team to quietly come. We're going to sing that third song. And I want you to listen to me. Don't look at them. Don't look at them. And I don't want to, please, I beg of you, church is not over. Please don't leave. I know we've gone longer than normal. But just do me a favor. Stick with me and listen to me. Okay? Look here, look here. Your pastor is a pastor because I crave to lead people into a place of worship. It begins with salvation and it moves into the path of intimacy. And nothing gives me more joy than to see new life in Christ. And nothing gives me more joy than to see that new life come close with God. So I'm going to ask you to do something. If you would, would you just give me four minutes? I'm just asking for four minutes. Four minutes. Would you forget about what you have to do when, when, when we're dismissed? Just forget about that for a moment. Ushers, don't think about, I'll let you know when it's time to come. Don't think about that. Don't think about, just, just give me four minutes. Just give me four minutes. With those four minutes, is I want you to assume a posture of surrender and worship. Whatever that looks like for you, standing, sitting, kneeling, hands raised, or head bowed, just imagine that God is standing at the back door with his hat and his coat in hand. And he's looking for a place to sit. Will you be a dwelling place for the glory of God? As we begin to sing, please no talking. We are in the Holy of Holies right now. We are in the presence of God. Give me four minutes. Give God four minutes. We'll sing this song in its entirety. i
will in our lives to create a place where you can dwell where you can rest bring your glory Lord bring your kabod into our presence help each of us to be faithful to build a place where you can sit and talk and commune and share we pray this in Jesus name
we're going to have an emphasis. And I'll just give you a hint. We're going to have something kind of fun to give each of you and give your friends. Uh, and uh, so just some little refreshment. So come for Sunday. The next opportunity is going to be what we're calling Trunk or Treat. And that's going to be a way for us to invite our neighborhood to come and us to get to know them. Because we found on Family Fun Day, if we get to know them, they may come back. And some of them have. And that's why we do it. We want everybody to know we love them. Amen? Tell the person beside you, I love you. Now say it back. God bless you. Thank you for being here, Lord. We love you so much. Dismiss us from this service, but not from your